We are continuing our series called uh, Chosen by God and looking at different women in the Bible who has played a significant role in the, in the re- revelation of Scripture. Uh, and so last week, obviously, we talked about Pua, uh, and maybe you have not heard about her, but uh, we talked about her last, last week. This week, we talk about Deborah. And Deborah is incredible. I love the story of Deborah, her courage, her bravery, and really how God has called her into leadership to do God's work for God's kingdom during that time. Uh, and so it's an incredible story. I would say it's a messy story. So for those of you that have read uh, Judges, I know that we all sit at night and read through the book of Judges. Uh, but if you've read Judges, especially chapter 4, uh, you'll see the story of Deborah, uh, and it's an incredible story, but I, I would say it's not necessarily a, uh, a bedtime story for your children, and so just a little disclaimer on that. Uh, so again, let's pray. We'll, uh, I'll read the scripture for us, actually, first, uh, and I decided to read it myself because there's some big words in there, and I didn't want to mess up our scripture reader for the day, uh, but our passage comes from uh, Judges chapter 4, uh, verse 4 through 10. And here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, At the time Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take position at Mount Tabar, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, and meet you by Wadi Kadeshon with the chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into, into the hand of a woman. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. <coughs> we thank you for the people that you have called to reveal who you are and to make a difference and to change an impact of this world for you. God, we thank you that you have called Deborah in your history. And may we learn from her uh, today as we dig deeper into what you have to say. God, we pray for all the families that are coming back from spring break. God, would you just give them protection and uh, traveling mercies. And just may they have had a wonderful time just building memories with one another. God, we pray for what's happening um, in our world. God, just be with us and our leadership of our country, the world, the leadership of of the world in, in different regions of the country, especially in, in Syria. And God, would you just, um, we ask for your wisdom and your discernment and your guidance. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> As I was thinking about the story of Deborah, uh, I was kind of reminded about the story of, of when I was first introduced to this community, Bethany West Seattle, uh, as the new pastor, which is only, you know, about a year and three or four months ago. And I remember the, the day of the introduction, uh, Pastor Richard, which uh, pastor of, of Bethany Green Lake, asked me to, to come, and, and he would come, and other, 
other pastors would come from Bethany uh, and pray for me with the congregation. Many of you were there and, and prayed for me uh, during that day. Uh, but I remember everyone came up, and, and as they were praying for me, and, and uh, some of you guys have may remember, but I started, I started weeping. Uh, I don't know what it was about the time, but I started crying uh, when Richard and, and those of you here were praying over me. And, and part of uh, the tears that, that was going on was, yes, it was out of excitement. And enjoy that. I get the privilege and honor to pastor this church. Yes, that was there. Uh, and secondly, uh, I thought, okay, uh, the reason why I was so uh, emotional was not only because of my excitement for being here, uh, but something came over me, this overwhelming feeling of, what did I just get myself into? What did I just get myself into? And, and suddenly, uh, during that time of prayer, it was this tension of joy and, and privilege and honor, and at the same time, so much fear, uh, and, and to be honest with you, a sense of insecurities uh, and, and fear that came along with taking this position. And I remember when I finally started and I thought to myself, man, what do I know about leading a church? What do I know about Bethany, especially in West Seattle? I grew up in Seattle, but to be honest with you, I, I've never been to West Seattle really before that, except to go to the beach uh, and this secret little taco shop that I love uh, in West Seattle that I talk about all the time, so I should tell you where it is, where it is uh, someday. Uh, but I didn't know anything about Bethany, West Seattle, or West Seattle in general. Uh, I knew that Bethany, West Seattle, was a was a family of uh, was a church of families, uh, which I love. But what do I know about families? And, and I thought to myself, as I was taking this position, God, wh- why did you call me? Out of all the candidates, why me? Out of this sense of fear uh, and insecurities. Uh, and suddenly, in my mind, in my heart, I already, even before I started, disqualified myself for what God has called me to do. And I remember thinking, okay, I can do it. You know, God has called me. And yet I was, you know, overwhelmed with a sense of fear and insecurities. And, it's, and as soon as I came in to the job, uh, and this isn't to to give myself a pity party, but as soon as I arrived, I call what we had a, a little bit of a mass exodus. You know, a lot of people left, uh, and, and that's normal. A lot of, when there's change in leadership, that, that happens, that's normal. Uh, and then uh, I'll never forget this coffee that I had with the former member. He calls me up, says, hey, Prince, can we have coffee? I said, yes, absolutely. And so we're, we're sitting there, and I, rem- I remember the time, I remember the day, I remember the exact place, and we were talking about the church, and he suddenly says to me, he says, Prentice, because you are now have been chosen to be our pastor, people will now leave Bethany, West Seattle. And I remember hearing that uh, and thinking, okay, it is confirmed that all my insecurities and my fear and this, God, why did you call me here, has almost come into fruition, and I remember sitting back and I was just, just praying like, God, again, why do you have me here? I am, on paper especially, the most unlikeliest candidate to be chosen to be pastor here. And, and as time went on, I just couldn't help but to see God reveal piece by piece why God has called me here. I get to see the joys of, of seeing people baptized and dedicating babies and seeing people come to Christ for the first time. And, and I get to learn from the congregation. And, and now I can look back and say, God, okay, slowly you are revealing to me why you have called me here. But that is not to neglect initially my fear and insecurities and uncertainties. 
And I know that many of you sitting in the pews right now can resonate a little bit with that story. For some of us, we have dramatically felt God's calling in our lives towards something or to something or even away from something. God has called each and every one of you, I can say that with confidence, to something. And many of you have felt that calling. This overwhelming sense of God telling you to go here or there or away. And at the same time, as we have felt God's calling, we have felt that fear, right? If you're anything like, like me, you have felt what I've felt. You have felt this whole idea, this tension of God. Okay, I know you've called me here, and yet I'm so afraid to go. Can you think of an area in your life right now where God has called you to go, has urged, tugged on your heart, say, this is where you should go. This is where you should be. And yet, your response is overwhelmingly filled with fear and insecurities. See, many of you have felt what I've felt. In the story of Deborah, The point is this, and this is what I really believe that God is telling us today, is that God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the call. I love that. I love that. God doesn't call the qualified. And yet oftentimes we are mistakenly believing that God only calls people that are good enough, that are skillful enough, people that have it all together. Those are the people that God is going to call to this position, whatever that might be. And all of a sudden, we always, oftentimes, self-select ourselves out of what God wants us to do because we're not qualified, because we're not good enough, because we're not skillful enough. You name it, whatever it is, we've given that reason. And I love the story of Deborah because the point is this. God doesn't call the qualified. We see this all over Scripture. God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. See, God calls you and me and our church, even if you think you're the unlikeliest candidate for that calling, God calls you to be that candidate. And there's nothing you can do to disqualify yourself from it. God calls us, pushes us, urges us to move, to do something. And so many times we say, God, I'm so scared. I'm so afraid. And Deborah this morning has something to say about that as we've read the text. And and to understand a little bit more of what's happening, let's look at the the context a little bit uh, of this story. Let me just set up the story of Deborah for you. Uh, First, we understand that Moses, he takes the Israelites out of Egypt. Many of us were familiar with that story. Uh, And Moses is charged uh, to take his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, who was in slavery and captivity to the promised land. And so uh, uh, 40 years of wandering and traveling, uh, Moses finally reaches, he and himself, the, the people, to the promised land. Hasn't crossed over yet. God had different plans. And so as Moses brought people into uh, or towards the promised land, uh, another leader took over named Joshua. And Joshua was the one that actually took the Israelites over and crossed over uh, to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, uh, flowing with milk and honey. 
And what Joshua does is he, he divides the different tribes of Israel into 12 different tribes. And Joshua was the leader. And yet, <coughs> Joshua ends up dying. And when Joshua dies, uh, there ends up being no leader at the time. And that's what the people are used to. First, it was Moses bringing people out of Egypt. Then it was Joshua bringing them into Canaan. And then now they're stuck with no leader. And the Israelites, when before Joshua died, gave them one job. They had one job was to really uh, take over the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey that God promised them. And so Joshua's urge to the Israelites were, trust me, God has told me that God is in your favor. God will go with you, go into Canaan, drive out the Canaanites and, and, you know, the false gods. God will be with you to do that. Go do that. That's your one job. And, of course, we see time and time again all over Scripture uh, that we fail to do what God has called us to do out of oftentimes fear insecurities. And so instead of fulfilling that one job of driving out the Canaanites without the leadership, they come, they come in and they become like the Canaanites. They become and worship the false gods. They let go of, of Yahweh, their God, and take upon the gods of the culture. And for 400 years, they say, there was no leadership. And in Judges chapter 21, it says, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did as they saw fit. And we know how that goes when we were just left to our own demise. And what Tim Keller says, uh, author, pastor, and theologian, he says there was this cycle uh, of sin. And this cycle went like this. First, there was rebellion. And we see that people worshipped other gods. And then he says there was retribution, which is people, uh, as people worshipped other gods, the consequences landed on them. And, and so this is almost a sermon by itself, is that oftentimes we think that when bad things happen to us, it's because God is punishing us. Because we didn't obey the rules, because we didn't appease what God wanted. Uh, when in fact, the cycle of sin that Tim Keller's talking about is that there was rebellion. People made the decision to, to leave God of the Bible and to follow the false gods, and there were consequences to that decision. And oftentimes, uh, that's what happens to us. It's not that God is so evil that God wants to hurt us. It's that we end up experiencing the consequences of our own sin. And so there's a cycle of rebellion, then retribution, and, and then repentance. Right? So we, this goes for us too. We make mistakes. We make bad decisions. We face the consequences. We experience the consequences. And then we say, oh, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, change me. And so it goes from rebellion, retribution, to repentance, and, and then God listens to this rest, and then rescues, sends help, gives comfort, gives peace. And during the time of judges, <clears throat> the rescue was through a person. We see various judges, and we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, in the book of Judges, that enters into the cycle of sin of rebellion, then retribution, then repentance. Then God says, okay, I'm going to send you a judge to rescue. 
And then eventually the judge dies, whoever that is. And the cycle goes on repeat. And then again, we see rebellion, retribution, repentance, rescue, repeat. We see that over and over and over again. And we see even today that tends to be the condition of humanity, is it not? It's almost like we treat God as this this magic genie. We say, okay, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to do whatever I want. Uh, And it's sin, it's bad decisions, it's hurting others, hurting our relationship with God. We pay the price of that consequence. We say, oh my gosh, that stinks. God, I'm sorry. Take me back, essentially. God says, yes, I will do that. Okay, thank you. And then we go back to starting that cycle all over again. And then Deborah comes along out of all the judges uh, and is different. Deborah's message is very different. We see right away in in the first couple of verses that we read, it says, At the time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. So at this time, when God sends a, uh, a judge for the rescue, at this moment in history, it's Deborah. It's this woman named Deborah, a prophetess, a wife, uh, and one who judged Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. Clearly, Deborah was a woman called by God. She was a prophetess. She was the one to be the hero of the story that God was unfolding for God's people in Israel. We don't know how she got there. We don't know why the calling was, but we know that God has, was the one that selected her. And not only was it God, there was people in, in Judges chapter 5, uh, verse 12, it says, The people of God said, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song. And, and as she was called by God, affirmed by the people, what we do know is that Deborah said yes. Deborah said yes. In a very patriarchal world, with the Bible times, it was very patriarchal. That's probably no surprise for many of us. Deborah didn't listen to the voices of the culture, of the world. Deborah listened to one voice, and that was the voice of God. And she's one of many examples of women that, that God used uh, to unfold God's story that said yes. To be the leader, to be a prophetess, to be a judge. Uh, and I would say, and this is your first point, that God calls the unlikeliest hero. Oftentimes God calls the unlikeliest heroes. And I can resonate with this. God, why did you call me here? I seem like the unlikeliest candidate. And we see in the story of Deborah, God calls Deborah the unlikeliest hero. To be the judge, to be the rescuer in a time where Israel just fell apart. And in a world where it would be a man, it would be a warrior, it would be this political figure, it was actually a woman named Deborah. To be a prophetess, to be a judge, to be the leader. And it's not just uh, a woman to lead Sunday school. It's not just a woman to lead another woman's ministry. To women to lead Israel. We see it. It's in the scriptures. And it says that in verse chapter, uh, chapter 4, it says that she was a prophetess. Uh, and it's this Hebrew root, Yabayah, which actually is the same word as a prophet for any man that would be considered a prophet, especially in the Old Testament. And the prophet's role 
or, and or a prophetess's role in the Bible was to be a spokesperson for God on behalf of the people. So when God had a message for all of Israel, God would select one person, a prophet, to speak, to preach, to lead, to teach the people of God. And at this time in history, it says that Deborah was that prophet. The same Hebrew word that was used to describe any other prophet in the Old Testament, whether male or female. And so she was a prophetess. At this time, God used her to teach, again, not just the children, not just the women, but all of Israel, men included. And not only was she a prophet, uh, essentially modern-day preacher, pastor, she was a judge. And in ancient Near East, judges had two primary roles. Uh, First, a judge would be seen as a king, a ruler, somebody that would uh, settle actual legal matters and disputes between people. That's what judges do. I mean, judges do that even today. Not only did uh, judges uh, uh, settle disputes between people and acted like an actual judge, but they were actually warriors as well. They went to battle. And we can see in this story, uh, you know, when when Barak was like, I will go to battle for you, but you have to come with me. And what was uh, Deborah's response? Deborah's response was, yes, I will go to battle with you because I know that God is on our side. And so not only was she a prophetess, a messenger, a pastor, a preacher for God, uh, she was a judge, which acted like a king, a ruler a military figure who would actually go to battle, which during this time all good kings did. And judges acted like a priest, not just a king, but a priest. Didn't just settle legal matters, but disputes amongst the community. Became a mediator between uh, people that were in dispute and conflict with one another, but with God, through God as well. And we see priests all throughout the Old Testament who became an advocate for people with God. Oh, and by the way, if that didn't keep her busy, she was a prophet, a king, a priest. If that didn't keep her busy enough, uh, they made sure the the readers knew that she was also a wife of Lapidoth. And in Elaine chapter 5 describes her as a mother of Israel. A mother of Israel, which means that she was loving, she was nurturing, she was caring, but not only those adjectives, but she was also powerful. She was a leader. These are the words that described Deborah, a woman, in the Bible. (coughs) Deborah said yes to God's urging to lead, to be a prophet, to be a judge, to be a ruler. Of all of Israel. Out of all the candidates, out of all the heroes, God calls Deborah, which I would consider the unlikeliest hero in such a patriarchal world as a woman, she was called. And if anyone had an excuse to say, no, I can't do it, no, I shouldn't do it, no, I can't do it, it was probably Deborah. And yet in the midst of that, what does Deborah say? 
She says yes. She says yes. She says yes to what God has called her and urged her to do. And the question this morning for you is this. What is God urging you to do? And whatever it is that God has pushed, is pushing you to do, have you already disqualified yourself? I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I'm not skillful enough. Is it for that job? Is God calling you to apply for that job? Is God asking you to make that move where you may not know anybody? Is God asking you to do a, a mission trip? Is God asking you to talk to your coworkers, your neighbors? Is God asking you to pursue a friendship, a relationship, or is God calling you to actually move away from it? What is God urging you to do? And are you driven by fear? And what we can learn from Deborah, first and foremost, is that God oftentimes calls the unlikeliest hero. The one that says, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. God says, you can because I've called you. Not because you're qualified, but because you're called. God calls the unlikeliest hero. On top of that, number two, God weaves the unlikeliest community. See, God puts together a community that you or I may never have dreamt of to accomplish what God wants to do in and through us. As we continue reading in Judges chapter 4, verse 8 through 9, it says, Barak said to her, again, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, surely I will go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. I love this part. Barak is saying, I'm going to go to battle. Will you go with me, Deborah? Deborah says, yes. They go to battle. And Deborah says, let's make one thing clear. At the end of the day, when we have the victory, the glory will actually not go to you. The glory will go to a woman. This is countercultural. This is so antithetical to the culture and the world of this time. We're in a very patriarchal society, in a, in a world where all the warriors were men and the people that were powerful were men. In that world, in that culture, the book of Judges says, actually, the powerful one, the one that will defeat the enemy, the warrior, will actually be a woman, not a man. I love how in the book of Judges, the writer makes that very, very clear. And she says, I will go with you, but the glory will go to a woman. The Lord will sell Sisera, so the, enemy, the, the military enemy, into a hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. See, in this patriarchal society that we're talking about, that was a very unlikely community. Where a man and a woman would go to battle together. And, and later on, what we see in chapter end of chapter four is there was another woman named JL who comes in the picture, who was a non-Israelite to actually finish the job uh, of killing the enemy. And so we have a uh, Isra- uh, we have a Israelite man, we have a woman, we have a non-Israel Israelite going to battle together. To defeat the enemy. See, God weaves in the unlikeliest community to do God's work. 
See, I love when Genesis 1 and 2 says God created both man and woman as equal. Let me just say this again. In Genesis chapter 1, God created man and woman as equal image bearers to work together to unravel what God is doing in the world to make a difference and to make an impact. Equal image bearers. In Galatians chapter 3, it says, There is no male, no female, no slave, nor free, no rich, nor poor. Everybody has gifts. Everybody is called. Everybody has something to do uh, in the work of God, in the mission to the world. And what God says is, as I've called each and every individual person, God collectively brings them together to work essentially as a team. So Genesis chapter 1 and 2 Man, woman, you are created as equal image bearers of God. Galatians 3, there is no hierarchy of gender, of social class, of race, of socioeconomics. There's no hierarchy. We are all one. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says the church is like a body made up of different pieces, of body parts. And the head is the church. Or the head is Jesus. The head of the church is Jesus. Not a male, not a female, but it's Jesus. And so what the story of Deborah unfolds to us is that first, God calls you and us, the unlikeliest hero, to pursue God's calling, God's mission to the world. And as God calls the unlikeliest hero like myself, God brings us into the unlikeliest community to work together, to view each other as equal partners and co-laborers in God's mission to the world, regardless of gender, of ethnicity, of social class, for us to view one another as created image bearers of God, to love one another, and to be connected with that cause of the gospel. And so when we see movements like Me Too, when we see marches, when we see you know, advocacy, that's a good thing. That's solidarity, solidarity with one another. It's saying, I need you And you need me. And the application of that is this. Are we humble enough to learn from one another? Do you recognize the the people that God has brought into your life to teach you something? To work alongside you in something? If you're a male, can you listen to a female? If you're wealthy, can you listen to the poor? If you're a certain ethnicity, can you listen to somebody that looks different than you? If you're older, can you listen to someone younger, vice versa? Hopefully the answer is yes. And with the answer being yes, say yes and go. To whatever that calling is, go. Say yes like Deborah did. We need you. Don't disqualify yourself. We need you. If you're a woman, we need your voice. If you're a person of color, we need to hear about your experience. If you're a male, we need you to step up and relentlessly speak the truth. Remember not too long ago in a staff meeting uh, of all of Bethany's staff pastors, 
uh, we were talking about, you know, some issues regarding uh, uh, gender and, and, you know, some harassment stuff that was happening in our world and in our leadership. Uh, and it was a time for the staff to just speak truth and to vent on, on how they were feeling about the situation. And at the time, I thought, man, I, I want to say something, but I feel like as a, as, a, as a guy, I should just keep my mouth shut because, you know, in this particular situation, it was the problem of the men. And so I said, you know, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, and this is a time and space for, for women to speak up about their experiences and, and their hurts and their pains. And so, you know, as minutes passed by, it was the women that were raising their hands saying something, and another person saying something, and I just felt so hurt that the world was like this. Uh, but I didn't want to say anything because I didn't think it was my place. And then I get this text message from a fellow uh, staff pastor who was a woman, and she texted me, and she said, uh, she asked, do you care about this situation? And I said, yeah, of course I do, absolutely. But I, don't, I didn't think it was my place. And she said, if you care about this situation, you should raise your hand and say something. And, and at that moment, I was so convicted that even as a guy in this world where, uh, you know, there's so much going on between men and women that even me as a male, I have a voice. Even you as a male, as a woman, as a person of color, as a white male, whoever you are, you have a voice. And we need to hear that. And we need to see it. So say yes and move. And number three, God provides the unlikeliest tools. God gives us the resources, the pathway to accomplish what God has called in our lives to do. Yes, God has called you. Yes, God has called me. And then, yes, God has called us to be in a community with shared gifts, not based on gender, but based on calling. And then as God does that, God provides the, the tools, the, the resources for us to go through with it. Let me just read this real quick. Now, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace among King Jabin of Hazor and the clan of Heber uh, and Kenite. Sorry about all the names. Just stick with me here. Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Have no fear. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. He said to her, stand by the entrance of the tent, and if anybody comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, wife of Heber, took the tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him. And drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. He was lying fast asleep from weariness, and he died. So that's the part you probably don't want to read to your children. And so what we see is that this, I guess, God's enemy, the enemy here, uh, Sisera, had fled away from Deborah and Barak. Okay, so, so Deborah and Barak has defeated Sisera's enemy, uh, warriors and troops. And so now Sisera is running away. And as Sisera is running away, he finds the tent of a non-Israelite and says, okay, you must be safe. Let me, I'm going to go into your tent. Get me some milk and give me some water. Protect me. And Jael says, okay, yeah, I'll do that for you. Come on in. And kind of tricks him to come on in. And then it says, with a tent peg and a hammer, kills him. 
And I didn't really want to talk about this too much because it can sometimes bring up more questions than answers. But I don't want you to miss the point here. That Sisera is running away because his army was defeated by Barak and, and Deborah. He finds Jael, a non-Israelite, and goes to the tent. And what happens is he is killed with a, with a tent peg and a hammer. And, and the irony of that is that the tent oftentimes is a place where the women, especially during this time, was, were assaulted, abused marginalized, oppressed, used for whatever the man wants. And here's this leader of this army comes in and he is defeated because God wanted him to, God wanted to defeat him. He is defeated by the very tools. This is important. Listen to me now. He is defeated by the very tools that was once used to oppress women. The very tools that were once used to oppress women in this society, in this culture, was used to kill him, to defeat him. The unlikeliest tools God uses and brings to us. I mean, have you ever had moments where you needed something and somehow God provided in the most unlikeliest ways? Because we said yes. Because God is pushing you and urging you. And wherever God guides, okay, listen to this. Wherever God guides, God will always provide. I know it sounds cheesy, but I love it. Wherever God guides us, God will provide for us. I remember when I was in college, I was going on this mission trip with Campus Crusade for Christ, one of uh, the organizations that single-handedly changed my life and pushed me into going into ministry. And I remember I was raising support, and I thought to myself, there's no way I can raise, it was like $2,500, there's no way at this time I can raise this much money as a college student to go on this mission trip. And so I remember my friends and I, we did something interesting. We drove over to Medina, I had a support letter, and we found out where Bill Gates lived. And I remember, obviously, we couldn't go to his house. But I, there was a big old gate, you know, there was a guard there. I just ran up there. I put the support letter uh, right at the gate, put a rock over it, and we ran off. And I said, you know what? What's the worst thing that can happen? Nothing. And then as time came and came closer to the day that my money was due for this mission trip, I looked in the mail, and guess what was there? Nothing, actually. Nothing. I thought Bill Gates would be uh, nice to me or that one, you know, that one anomaly that that would happen, you know, this miracle. And I, you know, but it didn't happen. I was still short a significant amount. Was probably, I think it was something like $650. I was short. And I remember, God, how am I going to do this? God, you have called me to go on this mission trip. God, you have asked me to do this. I don't even know if I want to do this, but I feel compelled to do this. And I feel like it's from your Holy Spirit. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to do it. But how am I going to get there? And just a day before I left, I get a check, because back then we wrote this thing called checks, uh, and sent it through the mail. Back then it was a thing called mail. Uh, and I received it, and it was, I kid you not, I can't make up the story, it was for the exact amount that was due for my mission trip. It was the exact amount And right then, I'm not trying to perpetuate this God as a genie model, but what I'm saying is that where God was guiding me, God decided to provide for me as well. And it was because of that yes that I said to God that I went on this mission trip where it was that summer I decided to transfer from WSU to SPU to pursue ministry. 
And then while I was at SPU, I was part of Young Life. And while I was at Young Life, I got offered as a job in my first youth pastor job. Then I went to seminary after that. And now, you know, after different pastoral positions, here I am now. That was all initiated by that mission trip that I said yes to. That even though I didn't think there was a way, God provided humorously exactly the way I needed. So God calls you the unlikeliest hero to go wherever that might be. Even if you don't think you're good enough or skillful enough, if God has called you, that is more than good enough. And God will surround you with people. As long as we can see people as equal uh, image bearers of God, we can work together. You will have the support. You will have the community. And not only the people, but God will provide the resource for you to succeed in what God has called you to do. And I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and I want you to ask yourself that question. Where is God urging you to go? What is God urging you to do? Are you overwhelmed with fear? With anxiety? Will you remember that wherever God guides, God will provide In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, <clears throat> But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God calls us, even if we don't think we're good enough, And what happens at the end of the story is that we're not glorified. It says in 1 Corinthians that God is glorified. It was through God's power that all of that is able to unfold. It was through God that Deborah was able to be successful and defeat the enemy armies. Deborah was considered a prophet, a king, a priest. And the ultimate culmination of prophet, king, and priest was through the person of Jesus. He was the perfect prophet, king, and priest. He fulfilled what not even Deborah, what not even anyone could do fully for us on our behalf to be our prophet, our priest, our king. And so at the end of the day, we can give God the glory and not of our own might, not of our own skills, because oftentimes we fall short. We give God glory for the calling and the equipping and the community in our lives. So don't let anybody tell you that you cannot pursue what God has created you for. So we've already created ourselves categories and level of hierarchies based on money, based on gender, based on status. And that is nowhere to be found in Scripture. Nowhere. In fact, the opposite is true. And to say that God calls us by gender, social status, class, whatever it is, would actually be antithetical to Scripture. If anyone tells you that, they are being antithetical to Scripture. They're being antithetical to Jesus. They're being anti-Jesus. They're being anti-Christ. So listen to your calling. Have faith and confidence in your calling. 
and know that God will surround you with people. God will surround you with the resources. And may we learn from Deborah, not just the women, but everybody in this room. May we learn from Deborah as our pastor, as our leader, as our teacher. And as we go and say yes to God's calling, may we, be, may we have a sense of uneasiness. We should have that. Because where God goes, we can't do it ourselves. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are and how you've called each and every one of us so uniquely. But first and foremost, to bear your image. Help us to go. Help us to say yes. And help us have the confidence and the hope to know that wherever we go, as long as we're being faithful and obedient to you, you provide for us. You guide us and you lead us. And we thank you for that. And for those of us that are fearful right now, God, may you continue to urge and to convict and to push. We love you in your name we pray. Amen.